I never get tired of, of the story of, of the, the cross and the manger and all that, uh, all that it entails, that God would so love the world that he would leave the glory of heaven, that he would come into this world and uh, give his life for, for a story and uh, never grow tired of that story and uh, love to hear that story just uh, over and over again. It's one of the things that I, I love about Christmas is just that, that story never grow tired of and it, it's uh, it's that same story yet that same story is that story that's so precious so thank you thank you Revelation chapter 2 would you stand with me as we read together a portion of God's word this morning we're going to begin here in verse number 12 Revelation chapter 2 I I felt it very as we go through the book of Revelation that we we gain the whole context because I, I believe it's a prophetic book and uh, as, we, as we march through the, the story or the, the messages here to the churches, uh, it, it really has such application to you and I and really prepares us for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse number 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. We're going to examine this morning uh, the church of Pergamos and then bring it really down to you and I. And what is God's message to this church for you and I this morning? If you'll join me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence in this place. So good uh, to be here. And thank you that you give us a church. And Lord, that you... Uh, as we see so clearly through the Word of God that you love the, the church, that you uh, gave your life for the church, and that you give direction to the church. And Lord, you give this direction here this morning to Valley Bible Baptist Church. Uh, we're also mindful that here this morning, you know every heart in this auditorium. You know every uh, part of this church, and you know down to the very core of our lives and Lord, you call us each individually to repentance. You call each of us uh, to that glorious, abundant life that you offer uh, to those that know you and walk with you and obey you. Have your way, we pray this morning. Uplift, exalt your name. Minister at the very point of need, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. I want to, as we begin this morning, to go back, if you would, to chapter number one. Just review a few things uh, before we march into this particular chapter and deal with this church. If you go back all the way to Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1, we read the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly 
come to pass. And so this is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this is a word that the Lord has given to his children uh, and to his servants, the things that might or will shortly come to pass. This is prophecy. So this is a prophetic book. And as we look at the book of Revelation, chapter 1, uh, John is speaking of the things that had occurred, the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we have the vision of the things that are, are the existence of these churches. And then we move uh, beginning in chapter 4 to future prophecy. And in chapter 4, we have the rapture of God's children. We move in chapter 6 to the tribulation. And then we come in the latter chapters to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and to eternity in either heaven or hell, uh, depending upon what one has done with the Lord Jesus. Now, you go back to Revelation 1 verse 7. This is the theme of the book of Revelation. Uh, it's the return of Jesus Christ. This particular event takes place at the end of the tribulation. He says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, and, and spoken to this event that uh, Jesus Christ is coming back again. It's a very sure thing, more sure than death and taxes is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has promised that He's coming back again and He will fulfill that promise. Just as sure as we are here this morning, Jesus is returning. He's coming back. Every one of us will give an account of our lives to a holy God. Now there's a wonderful promise that I just want to point out to you in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. And I want to give you a challenge as we march through the book of Revelation. Uh, we read in Revelation 1 verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now here the Lord gives a promise to those that would read the word of this prophecy, they would hear the words of this prophecy, and they would put into application the words of this prophecy, keep those things which are written therein, God promises a blessing. And he says, for the time is at hand. And that simply means that it's close, the return of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you as we march through the book of Revelation, uh, that you would put this promise to a test, uh, that you would read the book of Revelation, that you will study it, uh, that you will seek to apply it to your life, that you would be doers of the word of God. Now we come to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. We have seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. These are not the only churches of Asia, uh, but God chose these particular seven churches for a reason. Uh, they are seven literal churches of John's day. Now I would point out to you that in the Word of God, a church is an ecclesia, a local assembly. And I believe if you look at the uh, the doctrine of the church in the Word of God. It's a local assembly of baptized believers. Uh, they've banded together for fellowship, for discipleship, and for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. These are local churches just like Valley Bible Baptist Church. And we have over and over pointed out that I believe it's the will of God for every child of God to be a part of a local church, to serve the Lord in and through a local church. Now, not only do these represent seven specific local churches of John's day? But we have seen there is a prophetic view of church history. And so God chose in the order these seven particular churches. Now it really starts with the 
early churches founded by the apostles. This was the first century churches. Uh, it was represented by the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 verses 1 through 7. Uh, it, we find of that church a, a church initially on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now culminating in Revelation chapter 3 uh, with the church of Laodicea. And the church of Laodicea is the lukewarm church represent the heart of churches and many Christians when the rapture takes place, when Jesus comes back for his children. Now these letters to the seven churches are also guidance churches of all ages. So there is guidance for Valley Bible Baptist Church. Uh, for example, the church of Ephesus is the church that left its first love. And so the Lord challenges us through that church to return to that love, that love of salvation when we first met Jesus Christ. Now, the church of Smyrna, we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, teaches us to be faithful even in persecution, prison, and death. And today the church of Pergamos, it teaches us that Christianity cannot mix with the world, that Christianity cannot mix with pagan practices. It cannot mix with idolatry. Uh, we are to serve with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind. And that's the message as we look at the church of Pergamos. Now there's the historical presentation. Let's look at the church itself. Pick up here verse number 12. And it reads to the angel of the church in Pergamos write. Now as we examine this letter, we see this church in some capacities becomes a compromising church. Now we know of Pergamos, it was located about 50 miles north of Smyrna. And Smyrna was about 35 miles north of Ephesus. And so this particular city of Pergamos was about 85 miles north of the first church that we examined, that church of Ephesus. Today, Pergamos is the modern Turkish city of Bergma. Pergamos was the capital of Asia. Uh, many years before Christ, about 300 A.D., and it continued uh, to be the capital of Asia until about the time of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know of this city that it was a thriving city. Uh, there was an amphitheater in this particular city that would hold 20,000 people. And then we know that within this city, it boasted of the second largest library in the world at that time, second only to the Library of Alexandria. Uh, this city contained at least three temples that had been erected to the emperors of Rome. Also in this city was the Temple of Zeus. And it was in this Temple of Zeus that there was an altar to Zeus, and some have said that would be the reference to Satan's throne that's mentioned to this letter of Pergamos. Now also located in Pergamos was a temple hospital. And uh, this city had become famous for its medicines, medication. There was the God of healing that was worshipped in this particular temple. Uh, this God of healing was represented by the serpent that is entwined around the staff. And have you ever seen uh, that serpent entwined around the staff uh, that you see in medical offices even to this day and still used as an insignia by physicians to this day? It originated in Pergamos, in this temple uh, to this God of, uh, of healing. Uh, now, some believe that Luke, we read about Luke in the Bible, some believe that he actually lived for a time in Pergamos and that he practiced medicine in this hospital before he met Paul in Troas. And so a lot of interesting history there. 
Now, one thing that comes to my mind as we march through these churches, it's a blessing to see how in these early years, the gospel spread so rapidly through the known world. Uh, churches were planted in city after city. And then those churches planted other churches in the regions beyond. And in just a few short years, and we talked a couple of weeks ago about persecution, that persecution literally spread the fires of the gospel all over the known part of the world. Now perhaps this church in Pergamos became or resulted from the evangelistic outreach of the church of Ephesus. We know the church of Ephesus had such a powerful impact to all of that region. And they preached the gospel to all the regions of Asia. And perhaps this church was the result of that. Now look in verse number 12. As with all of this ch the churches, we see the Christ of this church. In verse number 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamos write these things, saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this refers to his word, the sharp sword with two edges. Uh, chapter 1 of Revelation verse 16, it's describing the Lord Jesus Christ and it says, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, we know this is a reference to his word. And we know of the Lord Jesus Christ that he spoke the very word of God. Uh, Christ spoke as one having authority. He was not as the scribes and the Pharisees. Whenever the Lord Jesus speaks, He speaks with power. It was the Lord Jesus that spoke the world into being. It was the Lord that said, let there be light, and there was light. That was the power of His word. And even as the soldiers came to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus said, who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, He spoke, I am He, and the Bible says they all fell backward. That was the power of the word. Lord Jesus Christ, out of his mouth uh, goeth the sharp sword with two edges. When the Lord returns, the Bible says that out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nation. And of course we know Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. One thing that becomes very evident, it's for you and I, it's for the church of Pergamos, the Word of God is essential in our lives. We need a sharp sword. It pierces our life. The Lord, through His Word, reveals you. The Lord will show you who you are through His Word. Now, the church of Pergamos needed to understand the importance and the power of God's Word because there were some false doctrines that were beginning to penetrate into this church and they needed to judge those doctrines by the word of God. And also we know that Pergamos was a wicked city. Uh, they needed the comfort, the guidance of God's word to remain steadfast. And he even mentions that in this city was the throne of Satan where Satan himself would dwell. Now as we look at the Christ of this church, we see his word and the power of his word but you notice in verse number 13, uh, there's also his knowledge. Uh, he says, as to all of the churches, I know thy works. You see, the Lord knows all about us. He says this to each of the seven churches, nothing hidden from Christ. Now think about that this morning. Valley Bible Baptist Church. 
He knows you. He's mourning those that are His and those that are not His. He knows His own by name. This is His church. He walks in our midst just as He did the churches of Asia. He knows all about us. He knows every individual. Everything all for the Lord Jesus. Now there's the commendation that is given to this church. Jesus knowing this church knew the difficulties faced by this church. Again read verse 13. He says to this church, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. The Lord knew the difficulties faced by this church. This city was a morally dark place. He describes it where Satan's seat is. He says where Satan dwelleth. Uh, They tell us from history that Antipas was slain uh, there in that city and perhaps there in the temple of Zeus for his refusal to worship a false god. Uh, That temple of Zeus, there was a throne enshrining Zeus, the pagan god of the Greeks. It's evident that a tremendous amount of demonic activity took place in that city. I think we could say around our valley, there has been a tremendous amount of demonic activity. Uh, I look here at the Word of God. God placed this church in that location in order to be a light in the midst of darkness. He said in verse number 13, where thou dwellest. The Lord had this church in that place, steadfast in that place, lighting for the Lord Jesus Christ in a very dark region. We've been placed here in a dark part of the world. Now Jesus commended this church for steadfast despite difficulties. He says in verse 13 of this church, thou holdest fast my name. And think about this, Jesus is the name above all names. We spoke last week of the church of Smyrna, that because of the temples to the, the uh, uh, Caesars in that, uh, in that location of Smyrna, that Christians were required to pronounce that Caesar is Lord. And multitudes of them died because they would not proclaim Caesar to be Lord, but they said Jesus is Lord. And so it's evident here in the city of uh, Pergamos that they, uh, many held fast the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I say it's not popular to proclaim today that Jesus is God? But He is the only true God. Uh, he's the only one and He's the one before which every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And it's never popular to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there may come times at your workplace where you're going to be asked to deny the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not popular to stand up for Jesus, but we find that multitudes of this church in Pergamos stood fast for the name of Jesus. He says of this church, Thou hast not denied my faith. And that would be a reference to the doctrines of the Word of God, their beliefs based upon God's Word. They did not deny the truth of God's word, even when it was not popular. Now Antipas was a member of that church, and he gave a testimony to this truth, and that testimony cost his life, and the Bible calls him 
a faithful martyr. That's the commendation to this church. But there's a concern. And this concern is a concern that I see so applicable to churches across America today. There were two false doctrines that were beginning to take root. In verse 14, he says to this church, I have a few things against thee. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And if you do not deal with the leaven, then soon it will spread to the entirety. He says, because thou hast there them, and some in the church beginning to teach and to live these false doctrines. It reminds me in the Old Testament of a man named Achan. In Joshua chapter 6, God worked a mighty miracle. He defeated the city of Jericho. God had given warning that they were to completely destroy everything in that city. There was a man named Achan. He disobeyed God. He coveted after a goodly Babylonish garment, and then he took some of the treasures of that city, hid them in his tent. That which should have been destroyed in accordance to the word of God, he took it out of covetousness. Now, the nation defeated Jericho, but they marched on toward Ai, and God would not give victory over Ai. Sin had to be dealt with before they could march forward. Achan was discovered, he was brought out into the open, it was dealt with, and then Judah or Israel was allowed to defeat Ai. Now God is saying to this church of Pergamos, you're allowing these wicked doctrines. You need to deal with these doctrines that are beginning to take root in the church. Now what are these doctrines? He mentions two of them, and it's so applicable to our day. Verse 14, there's the doctrine of Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam is really a compromise with worldliness. He said, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. We can go back to the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 25, And we find that Balaam was hired by Balak to curse the nation of Israel. But God would not allow him to do so. Israel was in covenant with God. So Balaam, really for the love of money, devised a plan to turn God's wrath upon or against Israel. He encouraged Balak to send the women of Moab into the camp of Israel. And the women of Moab were to entice the men of Israel into sexual immorality, into fornication, and then introduce them to the false gods of the Moabites. And this worked. God brought judgment upon his nation. Uh, There were thousands that were slain. And that sin had to be dealt with. And Phinehas, the high priest, Aaron's son dealt with that sin in their midst to relieve the judgment of God. Now, I think we can take and make application. We can go back into history. We can see what happened. And evidently, some in the church of Pergamos were teaching and living this doctrine. Remember, Pergamos was pagan. It was pagan to the very core. There were false temples and the worship to false gods. And God calls His children to separation. God calls us to holiness. 
You cannot serve God and the world. You cannot love God and the world at the same time. That was the message that God gave to the church at Pergamos. Evidently, some of the church at Pergamos were compromising, marrying pagan worshipers, committing fornication, involved in sexual sin, unwilling to live lives of purity. And the Bible tells us if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us. We're not our own. When I got saved, I don't belong to me. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God lives within me. And that truth cannot be compromised. And how many Christians, how many churches have been defeated when church members tried to serve both God and the world and many Christians defeated through sexual sin. And God deals with this in 1 Corinthians says to the church at Corinth, you've got a man in your midst that's living in known, open, blatant sin. And God said you need to deal with that. That was the message really to the church of Pergamos. That's the doctrine of Balaam. Verse 15, it was a second doctrine. We dealt with this previously as we spoke of the church at Ephesus, but the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It says, so thou hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And God says, which thing I hate. We spoke of that as a compromise with paganism. Now, Nicholas was one of the first deacons of the church in Acts, but he went off in a doctrine of heresy and became a false teacher. He taught that one could worship Christ and at the same time continue to frequent the pagan temples. The Lord exhorts us, What fellowship hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? He says you cannot serve both God and Baal. You've got to choose. As the Lord spoke through Elijah the prophet, how long hold ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve Him. Be God, serve Him. But you can't serve both. And that was the message that God says to this church. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Uh, and uh, be a, a father unto you in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, you go back into history. Uh, I love the story of Adoniram Judson, great missionary to Burma. As Adoniram Judson went to Burma, the religion is now Myanmar today, but uh, early 1800s it was Burma. Uh, Buddhism was the religion of the Burmese people. And as Adoniram Judson preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, he found that many wanted to hold to Buddhism and add Jesus to their Buddhist gods. And Adoniram Judson taught the truth of God's word to receive Jesus Christ is to reject the false gods, for Jesus is the true God. And you can't serve both Jesus and the false gods of Buddha. And so he held them to that true repentance, that turning from the false to turn to the truth, to receive Jesus Christ. Now, many of you have come out of false religion, so you understand what I'm talking about. And when you get saved, you can't compromise. You can't serve both. You can't join the two together. They have no fellowship. You see, Jesus must be exclusive. I've never known an individual to prosper who tried to hold to Jesus and continue with false religion. It just does not work. It's an impossibility. Now that's the doctrine that began to penetrate into the city of Pergamos. 
Now go back, if you would, to chapter 2, verse 6. And you notice what the church at Ephesus did concerning this doctrine. In chapter 2, verse 6, he said to the church at Ephesus, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, let's look in verse 16, chapter 2. And here's the counsel that's given to the church of Pergamos. It's a very simple word, verse 16. He says to this church and to individuals in this church, repent. Uh, simple. He said, turn away from the compromise. If you're compromised with the world, turn away from that. Repent. If you're compromised with paganism, he said, turn away from that, that idolatry. You'll notice the statement, or else. He says, I will come unto thee quickly. God doesn't mess with compromise. He, he doesn't work on our timetable. He does not work on our terms. He gave the space of repentance. And he said to those within the church, if they did not repent and turn away, he said, I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And here's a beautiful thing. If God before be against us, if you are on the Lord's side, uh, you are going to be blessed because of that. But when you compromise, the other side is a fearful thing. If you're truly a child of God and you're living in compromise, the Lord disciplines His children. He spanks His children. He will not allow His children to live in compromise and get by with it. Jesus against you is never prosperous or blessing. All He has to do is speak a word. And the word of the Lord is powerful as we expressed. Now verse 17, the counsel that he gives to this church, again to individuals. He's speaking specifically to those members of this church. He that hath an ear. Uh, listen up. God speaks to individuals. He says, to him that overcometh. We examined that previously. That simply means to be born again. And it's evident as we march through these letters to the seven churches, not all church members were saved. I was a church member before I was born again. And the overcomer, according to 1 John chapter 5, is the one that is born again, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden That speaks of the satisfying, abundant life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, listen, it is a blessing to be a Christian. And not only does the Lord want you to be saved, but the Lord wants you to know the abundant Blessed life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can never know that abundant life living in compromise. Some of the most miserable people in the world are Christians that know what the Word of God says, but they've compromised the Word of God. And so what a blessing to have that hidden manna. But notice something else here. He says in verse 17, interesting statement. He says, and I will give him a white stone. And in the stone, a new name written. Now, we have to understand the judicial system of that day to understand the white stone. If somebody was taken to court and tried by jurors, the jurors had a white stone and a black stone. If you were found to be innocent, then the juror would present the white stone. If you were found to be guilty, the juror would present the black stone. And for those that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, friend, we are justified through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord gives to us that are justified that white stone, and that simply means I'm forgiven. I'm not guilty. 
because of what Jesus did for me. The price has been paid. He took that shame and that guilt upon himself. That's the meaning of the white stone. And in that stone, a name written. There's a new name inscribed in the heart of a child of God. And you're sealed by the Spirit of God. That's the historical presentation of this specific church. Now, very quickly, there's a prophetic picture in this church. We believe, as we said, the book of Revelation is to be prophetic in nature. And so these churches represent church history until the return of Jesus Christ. We spoke about the church of Ephesus. and That represented church history during the first century into the second century. These churches were planted by the apostles and their disciples. Uh, they were strong doctrinally. They labored in planting local churches throughout Judea, Samaria, beginning to reach to the uttermost. That's how the church at Pergamos was planted. Many uh, were very large. We know the church at Jerusalem had thousands of people in that particular local church. And so these were the churches of the first century. Uh, the church of Smyrna represented the persecuted churches of the second and third century. A couple of weeks ago, we went through that persecution. And there were 10 Roman emperors that hated Christianity. It began with Nero, about 54 AD. It was Nero that beheaded Paul the Apostle. Uh, during those 10 of the emperors, Christians were hated. They were mocked, slandered uh, during those centuries. Uh, they faced horrible, horrible atrocities. Uh, imprisoned, chained, beaten, scourged, branded. Uh, they literally had limbs removed from their body. Some were wrapped in wet animal skins and then that skin would dry in the hot sun and suffocating them slowly. Uh, they were fed to lions and wild animals. Some were crucified, burned at stakes. They were beheaded. Uh, I want to read one particularly gruesome account. It tells of Christians ripped open at the stomach and the intestines filled with grain and then thrown to the pigs where the pigs would devour them slowly. Uh, it's hard to imagine the cruelty, but history tells us that thousands upon thousands of Christians died during those centuries. It's a revelation of the wickedness of the human heart without the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and friend, you know, we've, we've been free and blessed in the United States, but just a moment of time when the devil begins to reign, you will find the atrocities that will come in the direction towards Christians. It's unimaginable. And we could very well face some of those atrocities once again. What was the blessing of those centuries is the churches and Christians of those centuries had a tremendous price for their faith, but they stood firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And instead of putting to death Christianity, emperors had hoped it spread the flames of revival to all of the known world. Many soldiers and persecutors came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And some of the most marvelous testimonies of conversion took place by those that actually were in charge of persecuting the Christians because they saw the reality of Jesus in their life. That was the church of Smyrna. Now, the church of Pergamos represents, I believe, history of, of from the early 300s to about 500 A.D. Uh, M.R. Dehan stated that one meaning of the word Pergamos means married. That would really describe that marriage to the world and the compromise. Uh, many local churches faced uh, in those centuries 
uh, some real struggles. They were different than the persecution. It began in, in early 300, Constantine. Many of you have heard of Constantine the Great. He was carrying out conquests, had a supposed vision of a giant cross in the sky. And over the cross were these words in this sign, Thou shalt conquer. He professed there to become a Christian, not clear evidence of a genuine conversion as you go back and read the history of Constantine, but he made Christianity the state religion. And he even forced conversion. So Christians went from the place of, of being persecuted by the state. Now the state is forcing them into Christianity and what you had a lot of false conversions. And you had many that were not genuinely born again. So churches went from severe persecution now to fighting a different battle. And that was the battle of compromise. Now, let me make a statement that if you know your history, church history, there have always been through history in every decade, every century, true churches. For Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Have always been true churches. You can trace a trail of blood through history and find those churches that stood steadfast. You've always had churches that believed in local church. In other words, the state does not over the church. But every church is accountable directly to Jesus Christ. You've always had those churches that believe in salvation by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. You've had those churches that believed in a saved membership and baptism following salvation by immersion. You have churches that have always believed in the sole authority of Scripture. In other words, our doctrine comes not from the creeds of man, but from the Word of God. You've had churches that have always believed in the priesthood of the believer. That simply means that when you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you can have just as much a relationship with God as any preacher can. And God can teach you the Word of God just as He can teach a preacher the Word of God, the priesthood of the believer. And you've always had churches that believed in the separation of church and state. Every decade and every century has had true churches that would not compromise. But here's the new uh, tendency that began to happen is uh, with supposed conversion of Constantine, some of the true churches began to compromise those principles. And they turned away from the local church concept to bishops who began to control many churches. You had the marriage of the church and state, and the state became, uh, began to fund some of the churches, and these churches began to be subservient to the state. And that was the compromise, the marriage of the churches to the world, the doctrine of Balaam, uh, unseparated. Worldly, many unconverted church members as a result living for the world. Uh, many churches begin to compromise with pagan practices, pray, pagan gods, praying to other gods, Nicolaitanism, mixing Christianity with paganism. Again, there were always true churches would not compromise, but many did. And those that would not compromise now, we have a different form of persecution. Instead of the state persecuting, now persecution comes from false Christianity. And so history tells us through a trail of blood, multitudes that were persecuted. That's the prophetic picture of the church of Pergamos. Now, very quickly, there's a personal application of this church. It's the message, Valley Bible Baptist, for you and I. I want you to look back, verse 12. He said, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. See, Jesus is the Word of God. and His Word has power and authority. And here is the message for us today is that we should be as the wise man who built his house upon the rock. 
And the rock is the word of God. And the Bible speaks of that wise man. He heard the word of God and he obeyed the word of God. He followed the word of God. And friend, can I express to you this morning that God's word is real and true. I mentioned this little book in Sunday school. It's in our bookstore, The Little Baptist, a wonderful story of a young girl that began to read the Bible, was given a Bible, and she determined that whatever the Bible told her, that's what she was going to do. It's a wonderful book, appearance, for you to take and use for devotions in your home. It's in our bookstore, $2 in the bookstore. But it will bless your heart here just to learn. That's what God wants for us, that we would be obedient to the Word of God. In verse number 13, uh, we can be steadfast like Antipas. We can hold the name of the Lord, not deny the faith, never be ashamed of Jesus. Uh, we're entering into days when your faith is going to be tested. It's not going to be popular to name the name of Jesus. Don't be ashamed, even like Antipas, even standing to the point of death. And in every one of our lives, there's this constant pressure to compromise. Uh, Balaam, compromising with the world. God must chasten and discipline his children when we compromise the principles of God's word. There's always the chance of compromising with paganism, serving God and Baal. Just be very blunt here. A Christian should have nothing to do with the occult. As a child of God, you can't serve the Ouija boards and tarot cards and astrology and horoscopes and masonry and secret societies. You got to come out and be separate. For a Christian, we have one mediator. That's Jesus. We have one head of the church. That's Jesus. We have one prophet for the end times. That's Jesus. We have one loyalty. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to repent of any allegiance even taught by forefathers or ancestors. Our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming back again. Every knee is going to bow before him. Every tongue is going to confess him as Lord. And here this morning, the, the word is to individuals. He that hath an ear. If you do not know this Jesus, he wants to know you. He gave everything for you. And he shed his blood for you. He wants a personal relationship with you. When you come to know him personally, you are an overcomer. And as an overcomer, you can have of the hidden manna and abundant life through Jesus Christ. Uh, when you come to Jesus, you can have that white stone justified just as if you'd never all of the guilt of wherever you've been and whatever you've done of the past that's put aside. And now the court declares you not guilty. That's because of Jesus and the price that he paid. And that's what the Lord offers to each and every one of us. That's the message to us as individuals with every head bowed. Every eye closed this morning.